January 1st or when did you? Yeah, we started January 1st. What was the first one you came on for? Probably in March or April, but I'm just thinking you'll be at 52 by that point. So you can kind of work backwards. Oh yeah, I guess so. Well, we missed a couple of weeks. We've, I think we've missed right. two, two weeks this year. Sound about right, Jennifer? Yep. I think, yeah, either two or three. Mm -hmm. Well, welcome to Monday, December 4th, Solid Ground live stream. almost a year of doing these. So that's pretty cool. And today we are joined by Marie Picard, a Canadian mom who has been, I, we met when we were in Denver for the GenSpect conference and had some really great conversations. And so um, we, uh, Jennifer and Deborah and I, last week, at some point in our conversation, we were talking about the experience of being a parent who has trans-identified children and how just the, the profound difficulty and complexity of that situation for for parents in terms of the emotional experience and the physical experience and the relational experience of that. So it made me think of some conversations that we had, Marie, and I thought it would be great to have you join us so that we could have a chat about uh, all these things. And But first, uh, does somebody want to introduce Solid Ground and, and tell everybody who we are and what we do? I will do the blurb. All right. <laughs> Solid Ground is a peer support community dedicated to helping people navigate the divisive impacts of oppressive ideologies. You can find us on solidgroundsupport.org and you can join us on Locals through that for $5 a month. And we have three groups per week that people can attend. And none of the services offered by Solid Ground or its individual facilitators constitute psychotherapy medical or legal advice and should not be construed as such. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Marie, I did a very, very uh, scanty introduction of you there. Would you go ahead and give yourself a, a tell us if, about your background and, and who you are? A little bit. Um, so I'm in Ontario, Canada. Um, I have a <clears throat> combined family. So I have three children from a previous marriage and my partner has two um we didn't live together fully until the pandemic so that was an interesting experiment <clears throat> um in 2021 my now almost 20 year old daughter uh came out as trans and then two weeks later my youngest stepson who is now 18 um came out as trans um both gay identifying beforehand for a couple of years each uh very accepting household. We had no issues with it whatsoever. Um, so once that happened, then I had to find out more. And, and once I realized what was going on, it was pretty obvious these kids were not actually trans and there was a lot more going on there. And when, when you say it was pretty obvious that they weren't, and there was a lot more going on there, what, what have you discovered or what is that process of, of, understanding that what's going on for them been like for you um well I get a little obsessive about topics <laughs> so once this happened I started looking at everything I could find either old research or um having a uh being in the healthcare uh field myself I was able to kind of read some literature and, and understand it um I also have the long uh, interest in psychology so they kind of piece things together that way um, there's a lot online that's you know very um, politically driven and very emotional for people um, so that was a little hard to navigate and see what was true and what wasn't but it took me a couple of years before I got to a point where I, I thought I could fully understand and and definitely knew for sure that these kids had kind of jumped on a on the bandwagon of something that was going to harm them in the long run. Yeah, I can only imagine the feeling that you must have had when you when you were hearing that. And are you hearing it a lot? Were you aware of it in the culture before you started hearing this from your own kids, or, Very or was that kind minimally, of your introduction? Like I, I, I had there is we lived in Guelph for a long time and Guelph is pretty like hippy dippy. So there was a couple of trans women that were kind of known locally and I had a lot of friends in the music business. So um, there was some 
a lot of LGBT people in that area. There was like a whole group of late 20s, early 30s women that all came out as non-binary in like 2015. And that that was my first introduction to non-binary. I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. They all seem like lesbian women to me. Um, but I always had like a really open mind about it. I didn't really know enough to to know the dangers that are attached to this ideology. Um, so coming into it two years ago, I definitely had an open mind, not not to the point where I was like, oh yeah, my kids are definitely trans, um, but I didn't have um, enough information to to really have a, an educated you know, opinion on what was going on. So, but the more I found out, the less my mind was open to it, obviously, hmm. yeah. And so you said that both of the kids, and if uh, if there's any place that feels too personal and you want, don't want to talk about it, please feel free to just take this high level and we don't have to, I don't, I, I really don't, I want to respect your privacy and your family's privacy. And so if it feels like the question is too personal, you know, please feel free to block that and, and shift. Sure, thank you. <laughs> but you're, you said that both of them were gay identified previously. Did you have a sense that they felt uncomfortable in their, with their, their physical sex before? Um, well, my daughter is diagnosed autistic. Um, and, uh, so there's been a lot of, you know, neurological discomfort for a long time, like sensory stuff. Um, hitting puberty was really hard, like heavy duty periods and, just being extra sensitive to a lot of discomfort like that. Um, it's really hard to go through major changes when you're autistic. So when you go from like this scrawny twig to like a voluptuous woman over a very quick period of time, like I'm I'm kind of a rail, but she got her dad's side of the family. So she's, you know, she's, she's um, a lot bigger than I am as far as curves go. And, uh, I know like running into doorways and that kind of stuff was really frustrating for her. Um, not being able to do all the physical stuff that she used to do. And um, so I know for that part, like being comfortable in your body had a lot more to do with the autism and the big changes of puberty than the actual gender part of it. Um, but also most autistic girls are not gender conforming, right? So um, if you, piece those together and then you go look on the, online because you're 13 and you want to know what's wrong with me like the whole internet tells you you're trans right so she spent a lot of time on tumblr too mm -hmm. which i didn't know what it was um because whenever i'd pop in and see what she was doing it was like art sharing art and talking about anime and stuff like that so it seemed pretty benign um but then i found out that's where all these twenty thousand genders come from and you know yeah. Um, with my stepson, I don't, I mean, there's some things there I, I can talk about, but I don't want to say too, too much. Um, I think a lot of it for him, it, it's interesting having both a boy and a girl go through this because I see how actually very binary the experience of being trans is for people. Oh, that's um, interesting. So my daughter was a lot about like escaping the female sex. And then my son is a lot, or my stepson is a lot about becoming like a doll like becoming <clears throat> this like really plastic idea of what a woman is um wow that is really so interesting that this is happening you know kind so of you have a sense that he's going towards fem the the feminine at least the feminine um stereotype while she's mm -hmm. going away from that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think for my daughter it's about becoming a man it's about mm -hmm. not being a woman. And then with my stepson, it's the other way around. Yeah. It was interesting when you were saying, because I hadn't put this together. I know there's been the uh, a preponderance, I'd say, of people who are autistic who are making this trans identification, but I hadn't thought about the, the, the facet sometimes that can come with autism of having change being difficult and then therefore puberty being potentially, it's harrowing like I think anyway, but perhaps that amount of change and processing that potentially being more challenging than it might be otherwise. I don't know if, if I'm saying something accurately or not about that when I say that. Were you I sort of suggesting that navigating right. puberty if one is autistic might be harder just because of the challenge of dealing with that amount of change or? 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of social change in puberty too, right? Like if you're a girl who befriends boys a lot and then all of a sudden puberty hits and the whole um, dynamic changes between girls and boys and maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not mature enough that you're starting to date or really understanding those change in dynamics. It just feels like you're being abandoned or, you know, yeah, there's this neutrality of childhood, this sexual neutrality of childhood that is dissolves once you have a woman's body and you're mm -hmm. being looked at differently and you look at yourself differently. And it can feel like a real loss, I think, for girls. Yeah. Yeah. And dealing with, you know, men ogling and stuff is not, that's not helpful. I'm, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I think for a 13 year old girl, it only needs to happen once. For yeah. Her to be comfortable and think about it all the time mm -hmm. yeah so when you say your daughter's sort of it's not for her about trying to be a man it's more about moving away from being female do you think she's sort of trying to move back towards that childhood neutrality uh maybe not because she really does want to be grown up like the part of like when you grow up autistic is I think you're infantilized a lot and some people like that but she really doesn't um so I don't think it is so much about staying prepubescent more just about not being a woman yeah mm -hmm. and, and so yeah it's so oh, go ahead no no Deborah go ahead no it's it's kind of what we were saying before but I, I'm getting another distinction of it too it's like one version wants to be de-sexed and one version wants to be hypersexed, at least in appearance, right? Mm -hmm. Like the one version is much more like, don't even look at me as this. And the other is more like wanting to be, we could call it also being a woman, but just sexed at all. Like, it seems like one form, one uh, manifestation is potentially looking hypersexualized in terms of the signifiers. Mm -hmm. And the other one is like, just put me on a, you know, a, a shirt that's like a, a bag, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, just like, let anybody know what's under here kind of thing yeah one is don't look at me and the other one is please look at me yeah yeah, yeah. very much so and then there's a there's homophobia on both sides of the family um with the extended mm. family so um I think with my stepson especially he just wants to be with a straight boy like he really really wants a straight boy and the only way to get a straight boy is to be a girl and so I mean when it comes to you know, passing and stuff like that. Like, unless you're, you look like plastic, you're not, you don't, you don't ever pass like as a male to become looking like a female, like you have to go through so much surgery to look like a female that you look like Kim Kardashian. Like you don't look like a woman, you know? And he was watching a lot of Kardashians before all this. He's really into plastic surgery. Oh, wow. um, so that was just one of the many influences mm. with this idea. Yeah. Did you ever go through, or what has your process been like with affirming? I mean, when they came with pronouns and things, what, what was your response to that? Yeah. Um, at the beginning, I didn't see it as something that was going to have such a large impact. Like I mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't understand the issue. Um, so we kind of tried and gave in a little bit made an effort we were like mistaken all the time and my daughter would get really upset my stepson didn't get upset but my daughter would get really upset um but it felt a lot like self-censoring and like lying to myself like I'm looking at my daughter who I raised who I gave birth to I breastfed like and all of a sudden I can't say she uh, or I can't call her by the name I gave her you know um so that that was hard um but we were kind of like okay well we'll just go along for now like er everything you're looking at at the time is like the best way you can help your kid is to support them and I didn't really know what affirmation was but I just figured like okay you don't fight it too too much or else it just creates conflict and and they'll slip away um even like with my steps and I took him shopping for um for girl clothes and he just bought athletic wear, like the same stuff he wore all the time, but in the girls section. Um, so we didn't like flat out say no right away. It was only after like months of looking into it that I was like, oh, this is not heading in a good direction, especially when they both start talking about 
hormones and surgeries like that's when it got really scary and I was like oh this is not just a social transition like this is this is more serious so have you been able to connect with other parents as a support resource and have how has your story been similar or different to the other stories of parents you've you've heard or Um, known Usually, well, I didn't actually meet any other parent until like June of last year when mm-hmm. I was at um, in Ottawa for Billboard Chris's um, protest there. Um, and I met uh, Shannon Boshe. I don't know if you guys know Shannon Boshe. He's uh, pre- pretty well known in Canada in this field. Um, so he, his daughter went through a similar thing. So that was he was the first parent that I met who was going through the same stuff. Um, so that was pretty impactful, just being able to talk to someone who who got it. Um, and then I joined Our Duty Canada, uh, went to a couple of support sessions there. Uh, by that time, though, I was pretty involved doing all kinds of stuff in the background, like meeting with politicians and um, doing other kinds of work, which I, I find that much more rewarding than sitting in a support group. I found a lot of the I found some of the interactions frustrating, to be honest, um, in the support group, like mm-hmm. listening to parents of much younger children who I thought had a lot more power to do something about this instead of dealing with young adults um, who were, were just there kind of singing the blues. <laughs> it was hard for me to watch. I was like, if I had if I'd known about this when my kid was 14, I would have been on it and I would not have been just saying this is helpless and there's nothing I can do. So, so I stopped going to those, um, cause it wasn't, it wasn't helping me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's, I mean, doing the work in the background, there are other parents who are dealing with this, who are, um, pushing politicians and trying to get some change involved. And I find the, the most active parents are the ones I can connect to cause we're, we're actually doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like such a unique cultural phenomenon in a way, because there's so many people who are experiencing something similar to what you describe, where at first this seems kind of harmless. I don't know what's going on, but I, I've entertained lots of things that my kids have done over the years, and I've been patient with them through lots of things. So they're going to do this thing. And well, it's kind of weird, but really it it can't be that big a deal. Right. And so you kind of stumble into this and then you realize, no, wait, this is really something else. This is unlike all the other phases that my kids have been through, now there's a societal infrastructure that's going to back them up in this delusion. And now it's, what do I even do? If I say something, if I, how far can I push? Can I, can I be a reality check for my kid in the way that I've been a reality check when other things have gone wrong? And so what, what's been your experience around, around that, like community resources that they've have they had support from school or from friend groups in this? And and what has been the experience of you being on one side of this with other adults on the other? Um, with my daughter, a lot of the support is online. So they're basically strangers that are telling her things like, you know, if your parents don't affirm you, they're, they're evil, which I know the kids are all being told that, which is so weird. Um, so, but she was already like pretty much done school by the time this all happened. So there was no um, encouragement from the schools or teachers or anything like that. Um, with my stepson, um, there is uh, there is one half of the family that's affirming and we are not. So we're the evil bigots in this. Um, and I think at school there probably was, I don't know how much affirmation that he got, but he was allowed to, you know, use the female spaces. And I don't think people were misgendering him or anything like that. Uh, well, misgendering. <laughs> yeah, depends on what your version of uh, misgendering means. But um, so I think he got a little bit more push at school, but really it's in this situation. It's like if if zero adults in his life had been okay with him medically transitioning this he would not have medically transitioned it's not something he could have done on his own yeah i i should specify my daughter is not medically transitioned my stepson is i guess we didn't mention that earlier Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. do you have a sense that your daughter is is not going to do that or is that a fear that you have that she's going to go that route 
It's a fear I still have, except for all of this craziness, she is a hyper-rational person and agreed to wait till 25 to do mm. any medical wow. transition because she knows that's when her brain will be fully developed. Um, now, she does have an actual endocrine condition, so going on testosterone would make her really sick, so she mm. can never do that, uh, but she does talk about top surgery quite regularly. So I feel like I've got, I've got five years <laughs> to convince her not to do it. So I, I feel pretty hopeful that she'll be mature enough and, and grow out of it. Yeah. And it sounds like you've maintained a friendship with her, a connection. I try to, she's really mad at me right now, <laughs> but you know, that's how it goes. There's up and downs with, uh, with 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating. That's really interesting to me that there's that place where the 25 that she's willing to entertain that, like, like where you said, like where this rationality is, but where it isn't on other dimensions of this, like, like that's, I don't know. It's just fast. I'm glad that somehow that got through. I don't, I'm curious, like even how um, that sort of fact would be entertained, but other ones wouldn't, I don't think you would necessarily have the answer. I just, I just find myself fascinated mm -hmm. with that. Well, she is a super science nerd. So even like having discussions about like medically transitioning children, like she's strongly against that. Oh, huh. So, so anything like medical, she understands the risks and, and, uh, will not say like oh that's not happening or it's not really harming or it's reversible like she knows that mm -hmm. um but it's more like when you're an adult you can make your own choices and mm -hmm. that's kind of her viewpoint on it she's not like a zealot or anything like that hmm. yeah and then your stepson seems to see it quite differently i think he doesn't understand how harmful it is because mm -hmm. he's not like a super political woke kid either um, he just really, truly believes that this is perfectly safe and this will turn him 100% into a woman. He's living, he's living a fantasy. Um, I think a lot of these kids don't understand biology in the sense that they think that the hormones is what makes you male or female. They don't mm. understand that the fact that you're male or female decides which hormones you're going to get, right? It's like, it's the opposite. Um, but I think he really believes that if you're on estrogen, you're going to become a girl. And that's, that's, I think that's where his mindset is. And if, if the only people in his life, you know, his stepmom and his, and his dad are telling him like, no, this is not true. People are lying to you. You can't actually change your sex. That's not what he wants to hear. So he's not going to believe us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did the, the two of them, I mean, they, they came from different parental situations initially but are they close at all or no. i don't know how many years they, no, so they, they never got along. Wasn't... they're a year and okay. a half apart but the, they're actually the two that had the most conflict oh, interesting. All. all the kids yeah yeah hmm. they get along with the other ones but and so even now there isn't any solidarity on this particular thing or they don't really even no i don't think to... we even talk apart from like if we're having everybody over for family dinner i don't mm -hmm. think we talk outside of that yeah mm -hmm. Well, isn't that interesting though out of five kids for two of them to think that they're trans and that seems like it represents a lot of the social contagion that we're seeing right now well it's the two it's the two gay kids that's mm -hmm. what it is mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. very different from each other um probably in the way that gay men and lesbians are different from each other if <laughs> that they have no interest in common they you know they don't get along mm -hmm. um but they both happen to be attracted to the opposite sex and that's less acceptable these days, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting and heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, you have so much. Looks like so many thoughts going through your I, mind. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about this. It seems like the the trans movement has become a setback for men and women who are gay because being gay has gradually gained social acceptance and um 
just been, you know, very, very much normalized. And then all of a sudden this trans ideology comes in and it feels to me like it's, um, I don't know, it's having, it's having like a, a strange effect on gay people, almost like, well, it's, it's almost like it's going back to, to, um, saying you're not, it's not okay. And it's like, instead of pray away the gay, now it's trans away the gay is how it feels to me at times. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just kind of baffled by it. I think it's the natural consequence of being over obsessed with like gender stereotypes, right? It's going to affect mm-hmm. mostly gay people because typically they're pretty gender non-conforming. Not yeah. every one of them, but like um, most, if you talk to most adult gay men, they'll say like, oh yeah, there were times where I wish I was a girl when I was little and, and lesbian women will say the same thing about wanting to be a boy when they were little. So mm-hmm. now we're just like, as soon as the kids said that, you're like, capture them and go, okay, that's it. Like, Right. for you, <laughs> you know? yeah don't let them grow out of it don't let them figure out who they are the plastic surgery piece is interesting too and you said that your stepson has been he got really into the kardashians and that he was really really interested in plastic surgery and in the chat someone mentioned that too what a terrible thing to develop it an interest in mirwar jimo yeah. says and i it's, I guess I'm wondering, you know, as we, that's available to us, those medical technologies are available to us more and more over, over our lifetimes, you know, we're all somewhat in the same generation here. And so all over our lifetime, we've seen this become more and more of a thing where you can get a boob job, you can get a nose job, you can get a, a, a BBL or whatever the butt thing is that Kim Kardashian, you know, all these like real, um, hourglass people. Um, and as these things are more and more common, it does that, does that create a, a pressure that allows you to opt for something? If you, if something about you, you don't like, you no longer have to work on it and accept it and stop focusing on it. Now, if you hyper-focus on it, maybe you need to get it fixed. Maybe there's an, an avenue to get it. And I don't know really where the line is for, I think for different people, it's going to be in different places for some people, even wearing heavy makeup is too much. And for other people, you know, a full face of plastic surgery is fine. So I don't really know if I have a, a point here. I'm just kind of exploring this because I think it's interesting that kids who are exposed to that sort of concierge like elective cosmetic surgery world i mean do what does that do how does that engage with your dissatisfaction with the physical body as a teenager that's the least articulate question i've ever asked so there it is (laughs) well i think when we were young it was like the women were worried about what barbies were doing to us or what you know, the, the nineties super rail, uh, models on the, on the magazines. And it it doesn't help self-esteem to have these, um, beauty ideals that aren't real. Like nobody looks like that, even on magazines, like, sure, it's a real person, but it's all Photoshopped to the nines, like that nobody looks like that. So I think for young people, they can't really, they don't understand that, that these people aren't real. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of it. But my big worry is just making going under the knife seem like not such a big deal. Yeah. Which it is. Anytime you open the skin, that's a big deal. There's always. Sorry. I was on the highway yesterday and there were billboards and the most of them were either plastic surgery or personal injury lawyers. And I just. It was an interesting, it was an interesting juxtaposition. Um, yeah, sorry, that was just a side thought, but I was just thinking about the prevalence of this in our face. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. It's like you can be whatever you want on the outside if you will pay enough for it. If you want to, mm-hmm. if you have the money and the and are willing to undergo the pain, you can turn your body into well a lot of things maybe not exactly what you want but 
you can change it quite a bit. And so that's a focus on the superficial. And just like you were pointing out, Jennifer, that there's a regressiveness with regard to homosexuality in this. There's also a regressiveness in regard to human development. Yeah, I well, I think it's a false idea too that we can, you know, look any way we want, even with plastic surgery. You know, um, it doesn't always turn out exactly as a person wanted it. I mean, why did Michael Jackson end up with so many nose jobs? He couldn't get it quite right, you know. Um, and certainly like, you know, I mean, and a nose job is relatively simple compared to something as serious as changing one's genitals to match the opposite sex. And I think people have really been sold a false bill of goods and aren't aware of all the complications that people have following those surgeries and the years of pain they go through, as well as sexual dysfunction. And for me, when I hear that someone has had genital surgery, I have this sadness that comes up. I just feel sad for the person. It it hurts to think that they have done something like that to themselves. And I'm I'm sure that it's a complex sadness, but it's the loss of fertility is just one part of it. The loss of sexual function yeah. is another part of it. The separation from yourself, the 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 degree to which you must have been dissatisfied with yourself in order to go there. And the the disconnection that it seems to, and and that's just when I'm thinking about a person that I'm I'm meeting or that I that I know tangentially because I don't know very many people personally that have made those choices for themselves. But when I think about it being my child, there's a there's a another level of pain. And I've talked with parents whose kids have done these kind of genital surgeries or have had top surgery. I, I don't even really like to call it that because I know that's what it's called colloquially, but it's a mastectomy. Um, and, and I, or parents, the more often I'll talk with parents who are afraid that their child is going to make that choice. And you can just really hear the pain and the desperation that the parents feel. And I, I, I know that that must be more complex than just my it's not just my my line is ending or my child won't have babies there's something else to that yeah it's how much they're willing to hurt themselves like they call about they talk about embodiment goals but you have to be really disembodied to be willing to do this to yourself mm -hmm. so it's it's like it's the proof that they are in crisis mode mentally but they're being celebrated and there's no they're not allowed to say that they're mentally ill. Like nobody's allowed to say that they're mentally ill, but if you're willing to cut off body parts, you are mentally ill. Yeah. I just think for parents, it's, it's just so, so extraordinarily sad. It's like, like you were saying earlier, it's like, well, you give, you give birth to your kid and breastfeed your kid and you raise them. And I think a parent's love in a way you know, there's the universality of like all parents love their children, but there's also, you have a very particular love for your child, you know, and you love them as a female or as a male, all those unique things about them. And to see that destroyed, I think is devastating. And then this industry has very successfully turned parents into the enemy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, think about it. as a parent, you're trying to keep your child intact, right? I mean, isn't a lot of just protecting a child is to keep them intact. And here's something that is going in the yeah. opposite direction. Well, and what, an, and what an odd thing to have something that's your most, you think of mama bear, right? It's the, it's one of your most hardwired instincts is to protect your your offspring, your young, and to be blocked in this particular way by culture, it, uh, you know, the damage that it does to a parent, the, the emotional trauma that that causes, I, 
it's just, it really hurts to even think about. And I feel like I'm rubbing salt in a wound when I'm saying this out loud, Marie. It's been hard. It's been easier since I've been active doing stuff because I go, well, at the very least I can help other parents who are just at the beginning of this or I don't know. I feel like it doesn't matter what nonsense they're teaching the kids in schools if there's no medical clinic that will transition them. So yeah. to me, that's the big goal is just stop childhood transition. Yeah. And once that's done, I'm out. <laughs> I've never been political. I don't want to be political again. <laughs> that's just, that's it for me. Do you feel optimistic about what you're seeing in this as as we all become more aware of this and think about this and talk have these conversations yeah yeah i do i do um meeting with uh different politicians i mean i have yet to meet like a rational adult who doesn't agree with me hmm. whether they're willing to say it in public or not hmm. they all they everybody can see that this is wrong and the people pushing this either have money in the game or they're delusional or or they're just sociopaths, I guess. <laughs> That's probably worst case scenario. Um, but yeah, people who are sane know that this is wrong. They remember their own childhood. Like, how can you forget how you were as a child <laughs> that you can think, oh yeah, I knew myself well enough to make this kind of decision. Like, no, no <laughs> rational adult will say that about themselves. Mm -hmm. so. What level are you working at? Are you working at like uh, within provincial level or national? Like how, how are you? Uh, it's mostly this? provincial because healthcare and education is, is provincial in Canada. So um, that's where we're trying to affect change first. There's other parents who are meeting with federal um, uh, politicians as well. Um, and I guess eventually we'll have to go there because a lot of the associations that are pushing for this are getting a lot of federal funding from Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So some of the, the uh, provincial politicians are nervous about how much money these associations are getting from Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So we can thank Justin for that. <laughs> Gosh, Justin, what a mess. Mm -hmm. So you brought up something a little bit ago when you said that your daughter is she's rational and she has agreed to wait and hold off on any kind of medical procedures until she's in her mid twenties, until she's 25. And that makes mm -hmm. me think there's this, a lot of the focus on what's wrong in this trans healthcare movement is around the transition of children of minors under 18. But what about older people? What about people who are vulnerable for other reasons maybe it's mental illness maybe it's just immaturity maybe they're young adults but they're not is there a point at which it makes sense to keep this gender medicine thing going or is there a problem with it in general is there anybody for whom this makes sense and is a good thing if you had asked me a year ago i would have said this is probably fine for some people um, but the more I'm involved in this and the more I've actually interacted with adults who have transitioned, the more I'm starting to see that this is not good for anybody. And this whole what? idea of, of uh, doing all these procedures to, to make sure there's no other comorbidities and all that, like these, like the basis of it is you are deeply mentally ill. You've rejected your sex body. Like in what mental state do you have to be to make that decision? I don't think any of those people are in a proper state to make that decision. So the, yeah, I've changed my mind over the last year on this. I think they're all victims and I feel I feel really sad for them. So what about, and I, 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 I wonder how this relates, going back into the plastic surgery, what about other things? I mean, I've thought if you can have gender if it's gender affirmation surgery to have your breasts removed is it gender affirmation surgery to have your breasts enhanced if you're a woman do you are you enhancing your gender are you being more feminine what about getting a tummy tuck after having babies and these are all gender related because they make you feel more is more um representative of what you want to be inside changing the body is there a relationship between same 
gender gender surgeries genital or or otherwise uh, secondary sex characteristic surgeries and is there a point at which we should be allowed to opt into them or is all of that elective cosmetic surgery under one umbrella what do you guys think about that see it i see it as different yeah. I, I mean number one for most of the procedures there the level of risk is not is not the same you know, um, your body isn't, I mean, some people could, could, um, potentially their bodies could try to reject implants or something. Absolutely. But, um, for the most part, the procedures are not, they don't carry the same lifelong level of risk or need the same level of maintenance, you know, like with people that have, um, a, a surgery to have, um, their penis turned into a vagina the body thinks thinks that it's a wound for the rest of their life and keeps trying to close the wound. And so they get all kinds of infections and have all kinds of pain and difficulties and lifelong risk. It's, it's essentially medicalizing somebody for life, whereas a tummy tuck or a nose job, unless things go really, really wrong, you're not medicalizing someone for life. Tummy tucks That's are pretty so. serious surgeries. Are they you, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, how so? Um, it's it's a long. It's like the longest scar you will ever have. It's the it, whole. Doesn't thing it go all the way it. around? Yeah. So what wow. I, I oh wow in, I I work in physiotherapy and so I've treated lots of breast cancer survivors. Um, and the newest thing that they do now because surprise they don't uh, want people to get implants anymore because of all the complications. Mm-hmm. So what they suggest to do reconstruction is they do a tummy tuck and use the, the fat from the belly. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. Uh-huh. Um, so as far as like mental reaction to, you know, you don't go through the grieving process of losing your breasts, you wake up and things are there. It's a longer recovery time, but if all goes well, really great. Like it's going really well, but if it goes badly, which I have also seen, you can be dealing with like year plus, like fighting infections. It, it can be really serious. And it's from the tummy tuck, not from the upper. Interesting. Yeah. Why that, why the tummy tuck? What makes it complicated like that? It's the length of the cut. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it's deep. And so your odds for infection are, mm-hmm. are pretty high. Uh-huh. So that makes sense. Jennifer, you would based on what you you would make this argument based on the potential for serious side effects that there's a high enough risk of complications and medical requiring long-term medical management that it makes it unethical to perform this kind of procedure maybe am i kind of representing that's partially partially but i also um agree that it is people want these surgeries as a result of a very real illness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, um, I think it's unethical on that basis too. It's kind of like, um, it's the, it's the only time that we affirm something that is essentially delusional. You know, if, if, if a patient has schizophrenia and they are claiming that, you know, um, somebody is like directing harmful rays at their house, we don't descend upon their house and wrap it in tinfoil as a defense. But we're essentially saying, you're right, you are in the wrong body. So let's just drastically alter your body and subject your body to all kinds of harmful medications. So I think that it's, um, I think it's mistaken. And there's something that to me, one of the most kind of basic foundational things is our sex. Are we male and, or female? And it is very binary and it, it's kind of foundational to our society and all our relationships. And I actually think that there's ethical problems on an individual, but also a societal level with messing around with that. I, I wonder about how where where you draw lines because in a liberal society where people as adults are allowed to have the autonomy to make choices for themselves that might be harmful to themselves as long as they aren't 
directly harmful to others, where do we start drawing lines like that? Because the person with the tinfoil that you, you mentioned, the person who's afraid of the rays and whatever. So as a culture, you don't like use Medicaid funds to, you know, tinfoil their house, but if they want to, <laughs> but if they want to do some pretty wild things in support of their, uh, their paranoia or their, their, their concern, we don't step in and stop them as long as they can afford it. Maybe they can wallpaper their, their house in tinfoil. And there's not there. Where do you step in and say, okay, now I, I guess I'm wondering at what level of, uh, is it legislative? Is it a medical ethics concern question? Where do we put our foot down and say, this is, you're doing, you're messing with things that you're not allowed to mess with. I, I do see it more as, as medical ethics. I do. I, I do. Th I do think it's unethical to, um, ev even with an adult, I, I'm just, I'm just not convinced that these surgeries are helpful to people in the long term. I do think some people get an initial, initial sense of relief and even euphoria from the surgeries, but I think that that doesn't tend to last them the rest of their lives. And I think it's also not treating the underlying condition mm -hmm. that's, ca that's causing them to want to have the surgery. I find that unethical. I don't know with adults, what I would want to do about that. Do I want to pass a bunch of laws preventing it? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm, way more concerned about them doing it to people who are underage, but it's not like I think, oh, as an adult, that this is an okay thing or a normal thing. I, I don't believe that. What are the rules are uh, on like people who, I don't know what the condition is, people who want to like cut off a limb. What is that called? Oh, that's right. Because they have that sense that the limb should not be there. I forgot what mm -hmm. that particular illness is called, but I do see this as somewhat similar. Yes. There's yeah. gotta be rules on that on paper somewhere. That's <laughs> maybe, right. That's maybe right. A similar thing needs to apply. I do yeah. wonder if, if the medical profession actually really sees the real evidence and believes it. <laughs> if they would self-police, like I it seems like right now they want to only look at certain things and not like I do wonder if they if they somehow there was an honest reckoning with what we seem to believe is the case about these things, if they wouldn't amongst themselves because otherwise we're needing to keep requiring outside bodies to rein them in or hope the insurance companies don't do it and it's like i think my vision would my perfect world would be that they finally come to some aha about how <laughs> i don't know what's going to happen that they've been captured and that if they actually looked at the evidence themselves they'd be just horrified with what they've been up to and they'd self you know police but i, I don't know if that's coming but that seems to me that that would be the an ideal outcome that would be nice, <laughs> but you know, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think there's way too much money in it. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Miroir Jumo says it's ap apotemnophilia. Sound right. Sure. The desire, I guess, to remove a limb. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, the medical, I, I, and I, I don't know, I know you can get in a lot of trouble with this conversation. This is the place, this is the place you cannot go in terms of talking on social media, talking on YouTube. You can't start criticizing the medical and the pharmaceutical industry too much. You can have lots of other conversations about lots of things, but if you start to go into this, you start to get censored. And I really am concerned about how the the medical, I guess, industry has infiltrated government and we have been pushed into sort of a medical state in a lot of ways. I mean, when you see the way that we were controlled during COVID using medical regulation, and I, I think it's a really powerful tool for manipulating people. And I think that it is interesting how much I had this, who posted this? Someone posted this video on Twitter or Instagram or something. I think it was, it was Pamela Garfield Yeager posted this on Instagram and it's a um, video of two young people injecting each other with hormones. They're boyfriend and girlfriend, but he's 
they're both trans identified. So they're trans, you know, the other way she's, he's injecting her with her testosterone while she injects him with his estrogen. And these young people are just there. And, and I thought, wow, how futuristic is this? If mm -hmm. I were in the nineties and seeing this, I would think this is some bizarre sci-fi movie where we, we inject ourselves with our body modification chemicals. And yet here we are where this is something that's, that's being done right now. And it's, I, I, I wonder how much of this ties back to the normalization of, of medicine in everyday life. Like the pharmaceutical industry, there was something, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe this was in 10, 20 years ago, even where they put out some mission statement to have every adult on at least a couple of medicines. They want us all on medication. They want to turn us all into medical consumers. And when you talk to people, uh, I'm, it's just very normal to hear people are on, um, they're on Adderall or Ritalin, and they're also on an antidepressant and they take, you know, this thing for their allergies. And so you know, how many people are actually on multiple medications? And so I guess I, I keep bringing this back to this pl plastic surgery argument because I see it as an issue of consumer medicine. Hmm. And yeah. that the, the way the, the trans thing is just the door into the consumer medicine normalization. And, and it's just, just the, a really obvious one. Sorry, Deborah, go ahead. And just the, the use of will to self curate. I just was in a really interesting seminar with this author, Tara Isabella Burton, who has a book called Self-Made. And she just tracked the trends of like our sense of identity over time. And this, this notion that we've developed of this, like this will that we could have, and we could just self-create and we could curate and we could, we could start with Instagram filters. And next thing you know, the filter is on your own body. And there's just such a zeitgeist of, yeah, I guess like getting people to have desire as consumers to want to modify themselves and then going, we have the product for you and getting them hooked on it. I mean, I, I don't know how this unwinds, but I see all these, these things interconnecting. Um, and some of it is about this notion that uh, you can just have the will to be whatever you want. Um, you can be your own God. You can create your own world. I think for younger people, there's the avatar thing too, where they've been building these characters online and wanting to become these characters. We used to have like the paper dolls that you could put the, the paper clothing on and switch it up, you know? Um, and now they have something much more, you know, it's all digital with mm -hmm. all the filters on Instagram and like they just they want to build their avatar like their body is is not them or something it's disembodiment it's total disembodiment and your paper doll is now you so you get mm -hmm. to make you yeah. look all kinds of ways what yeah. what a trip that is i i i did snapchat for just a little bit when my girls were teenagers somebody said if you if you can't get your teenagers to respond back to you when you text them just get Snapchat and make them your Snapchat friends because it'll give you a timestamp that they at least saw your post and then you can know that they're alive. It was just this funny like mom tip, you know, when your teenagers are not texting you back, you can see, oh, she's alive. She's reading my Snapchats. So anyway, that's, I, I did that for a minute. They used to have all these filters. And I think that this is still a, a, a thing everywhere where you can see yourself with you it's like it alters your face just a little bit it raises your cheekbones and it gives you lipstick and it, it makes your eyes prettier and and you'd see your own face but altered to be m way more beautiful than you are and i think how painful if you live in that world all the time where you're curating yourself for other people to make yourself super beautiful what a sense of dysphoria you must have when you come back to the actual mirror and see you with your your disappointing reality it and for a teenager who's Holy trying to develop shit. a sense of themselves what a oh my god experience. well yeah that's like a disaster mm -hmm. that's kind of like we're turning ourselves into our own products or something you know i just think we can look at this from so many different levels like you said there is sort of like the um 
looking at it from the sort of medical pharmaceutical industry level, I also see it as a crisis of meaning and purpose that people have in their lives. Cause I just think that when you have a strong sense of meaning and purpose, you are less self-obsessed, less, less self-scrutinizing, and you're not as much into trying to, um, you know, form some kind of identity as your sort of way of navigating the world. Mm-hmm. Identity I think we've lost something. From privilege. You have to be privileged to be able to sit there and think on yourself. And That's right. Not a coincidence that Buddha was a prince, you know, nobody mm-hmm. else in his time had time to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it, it comes, it's in the Western world and in first world countries because our kids are so privileged. Mm-hmm. Well, and because they've been made redundant. I mean, when you, when everything is so easy that it can run without you, are you really necessary anymore? And I think that this, I've, I've brought this up before, but when I was in undergrad and I was studying sociology, they talked a lot about anomy or anomy where people are going to oh, feel yeah. disconnected from a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and they talked about this being a result of industrialization and the increasing automation and so you see this in terms of degree inflation where it used to be you used to be pretty educated with a high school diploma and then you needed an undergrad you needed a bachelor's degree and now you need a master's or a phd in order to distinguish yourself and so it's like you have to go further and further and further just to be just to be somebody who qualifies to do something that's important or special or meaningful. And you have more and more people who don't really experience a sense of accomplishment in their in their job, in their work life. And so you get disconnected from that and you don't experience a sense of satisfaction from from your work a sense of accomplishment you just it's just drudge and here we are several another decade or two out and we're seeing you know i just saw a a video this weekend where this girl and people are kind of making fun of it but it's this girl saying i can't work 40 hours a week i just can't i'm did you see this deborah you're nodding and people were kind of making fun of this, like these, these teenagers, they're so spoiled. But I think, well, what does she picture when she thinks of working 40 hours a week? What does she think she's, she's doing? She's just, is she going to work at Burger King? What is she going to do? And how are you, how is she supposed to find that meaningful? Right. And I think the other thing for young people, like that's going away but there's then, then I'll be an influencer. I mean, again, there's this online world then in terms of this curation, right? It, it, there's, there's this impulse to be a somebody on the internet and therefore whatever you're doing with your visually and otherwise, right? To, to, to cause this, this buzz about you to make that attractive. And it's just amazing, like how many young people that would be their aspiration. Like, they say, I want to be an influencer when I grow up, right? Yeah, that's my stepson actually. Mm. Not not wanting. I mean, he's in, he's in college now, but there's been lots of talks about what's the point of going to college. I'm just going to be a model, anyways. And it's this weird idea that the lives of these influences are real. They mm. they don't understand that this is so curated. None of, none of it is real. And if we say that, they're all insulted. Oh, you don't just you're insulting to these people that I like and these people that I look up to and. Um, they really believe that all these people are living these lives. You know, I do wonder if he had, I mean, you obviously know him better than we do, but like, I do, I am wondering about his sense of like, if something, there's something in there about aesthetics, like there might be an actual impulse in him, not in the forms that it's taking. That is something about his gift or his orientation towards the world. It sounds like he's visual and Mm -hmm. um, there's some creativity in there. There's some, mood like someone who could create spaces or interiors I don't know I don't know if there's something in there that's actually really some of his gifts that's channeling through this I'm going to modify my body and all this other stuff mm-hmm. yeah we talked about interior decorating as a forum and he was really good at makeup so I even I bought him a book with like this these crazy like movie level you know something that would take eight hours to do like a tiger face or with prosthetics and I thought that you know we could maybe nurture that interest and 
Yeah, yeah. But it sadly that led to the trans thing because oh. he was watching makeup tutorials online and Nikita Dragon, and that was Nikita Dragon was his first uh trans idol. Hmm. So yeah, yes. even when you try to do good sometimes. No, right? You're like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it's hard to tell them that this isn't something that's meaningful because when they look online, it's very meaningful. It seems like it's what people are focusing on. It's and there's so many yeah. bubbles you can be in. And there is certainly the bubble where being an influencer is where it's at. And mm -hmm. so to tell them that that doesn't mean anything and that they should go and do this other kind of work that sounds like utterly depressing to them it's it's hard to shift the focus mm -hmm. mm. well gosh what a what a um what a serious and sad conversation <laughs> thank you for for having it though it's so it's so it's real it's what's happening in a lot of people's lives right now and Thank you for joining us today, Marie. Does anybody have a final thought or anything that is coming up based on this conversation? I'm just grateful for the action you're taking politically. And I think many, many parents will be very grateful for what you're doing. I have to. <laughs> I couldn't just sit there. That's just me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being willing to engage in these conversations i know it's really hard it's your it's happening in your life and um i'm sure that a lot of people are grateful to hear something that they're experiencing represented in this kind of dialogue so thank you for doing it and thank you for bringing attention to it thank you for having me all right thanks to everybody for joining thanks. us in the chat we'll see you guys next week all right